the startup, grow up, and scale up journey. This is the Pain of Scale, the Notion Capital Podcast. I'm Paul. Welcome back to the Notion Capital Podcast. And this is our Pain of Scale Series 5. And today, product marketing. And I will be leaving Stephen to introduce our guest today. But, but let me say that I'm very excited that we are welcoming a partner from Silicon Valley Product Group, even though she has many other fascinating positions. Because Marty Kagan's episode, P405, was one, if not the most successful ever. So Stephen, I hope you told our guest today about the pressure she's under. <laughs> Hi, Bar. Hi, Bar. Oh, no. <laughs> and, um, and Leah Hickman was also True. excellent as well. I can't remember which number that is. P206. Yeah. We're talking product marketing. You know, this, this for me is a, a critical function for any high growth SaaS business. You know, my feedback from the Notion founders is not only is this one of the hardest jobs to recruit for, it's also one of the hardest jobs to, to do really well. Yet it's critical critical to translate customer insight into positioning and messaging that resonates with customers and accelerates the sales cycle. I mean, it doesn't get much more important than that, but then lays the foundation for that customer success and, and evangelism. So it's a really important area, and I'm delighted to welcome our guide for this topic, Martina Lauchenko. Martina is the partner at venture capital firm Costanoa, but she's also a partner at Silicon Valley Product Group, and we're massive fans. We just actually completed a 12-week coaching program with 30 of our product leaders going through the Silicon Valley Product Group curriculum with John Moore in Europe. But at Silicon Valley Product Group, Martina leads on product marketing. She spent over 25 years as a marketing product executive building branding, launching, market-defining software, Microsoft, Netscape. I guess that's probably where you came across, Marty. Loudcloud, um, she served on 12 startup boards. She also lectures on marketing and product management at UC Berkeley. So Martina, welcome. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. Let's jump straight in. What is product marketing and why is it so important? I like to think of product marketing as helping connect the market to your product. And that's a little upside down from how most people think about it, which is you build a product and then you take it to market and it's the foundational aspect of that. But these days I talk about it through the market lens first because what has shifted in the landscape of modern product marketing is how many companies there are out there and how many of them are doing similar or overlapping things. So it's really having market intelligence and understanding it deeply so that you can find the wedge for your product and where it fits and then do all the things strategically and tactically that let you win based on whatever it is you're trying to achieve. So product marketing is setting that foundation that intersects what you've built with where you're trying to bring it into market. Yeah, that's a great explanation. You talked about aligning with strategy. And actually, when we've spoken before, you talk about product marketers doubling down on strategy. And what do you mean by that? This is one of the things I think is least understood about product marketing, because 
so many practitioners get this list of 35 things that they think they now need to do. I'm doing this for sales enablement. I'm building these decks. I need to do positioning and messaging. And the job becomes achieving and checking off on this list all the tactical things that must be done. But the single most important thing is that all of this needs to be done within a strategic framework so that you know the why behind every single activity that you do. If you're trying to craft a particular position, say, I'm trying to be associated as the premier solution in this local area, how you position and message and the tactics you choose that would be appropriate to support that goal are going to be very different than somebody that is trying to be the international global leader of even the exact same thing. So that's why that strategic framework first is the single most important thing before you start on all the other stuff that you want to do. Very similar to the philosophy that Marty really talks about, which is yes. you know the, the missing link in product management is product strategy. And how yeah. does this align to actually what the organization is trying to achieve? This is why product management and product marketing are actually so closely aligned, more aligned than most people think. Because often, again, especially for founders that are relatively new, they're like, what's the difference between marketing and product marketing? Because in the early days, they're the same thing. Because <laughs> you usually have one product and you're trying to bring it to market. So they overlap 100%. But you want to have the same kind of systematic thought process to how you practice product marketing for it to be great in the same way that that's what you bring to product management to do it well. So there are very similar disciplines. One is oriented around taking all that great customer intelligence and applying it towards building a great product. The other is towards deeply understanding the market and being successful and having that product penetrate the market. I want to just pick up one other thing you said, and that really resonates with me, which is the product marketer with the list of 35 things. 35 priorities is not focus. And what you've got to do is you've got to focus. And that's why strategy, of course, is so, so important. Know what really needs to be done and a list of 35 things is is no way to, to build a product marketing function. Yeah, and I think that a big part of why that happens oftentimes is because people don't understand the purpose of the function. They think it's producing all these things. They're like, okay, we, we built something, so now we need to like do all this stuff to get it out to market. And I always love telling the story of founders that I worked with from like their PowerPoint presentation to like next week, let's meet and talk about marketing. And that's literally what happened. They came in because at early stage, oftentimes it's going to be a founder or even a product manager who's doing some of this work. And they had this list literally of 50 things and said, okay, we have a list of 50 things and we're hoping you can help us prioritize them. And I said, all right, let's stop and let's talk about what your goals are for the next 12 months. And talking about the goals, it made very clear what the strategies were. And then as we laid out the strategies, we could start putting in the appropriate activities. And the list was cut by two thirds because it really helped us focus on what were the most important things, understanding they had limited time and limited resource. And then what did each of those things need to accomplish? So if they had to not do something, they knew, okay, we, after the three things that we planned, turns out we only have time for one. This is what it has to do. And that always became clear. So that's the role that doing that strategy shaping can really help with. I'm interested in your thoughts in terms of how this function has changed in 2020. We're all off living and operating in a very different way. Some technology companies, of course, in our world of SaaS are being very successful. Has product marketing changed over the last six months? I would say the two biggest things I talk to my companies about are it, it is more important than ever to own a position in the market. When everyone has this enormous cognitive and emotional fatigue, it's just like 
oh, because there's so much happening in the world. All the attention competition that we talk about in the past, I mean, it went to 11, <laughs> like it's off the charts for everyone. So you can't assume that that little message or that email or and any of the activities that you're doing will make a difference. You have to ensure that the collection of everything you're doing will add up to owning a market position because that what is ultimately gives you kind of a longer term game from which to kind of operate and have the market orient around like, oh, yeah, these guys do this or this is the that company. So it's really crucial in 2020 to double down on positioning and equally important in the messaging to have empathy and compassion, not necessarily always in how you message but to understand everyone's world is different. So if you're going out there talking about how, oh, well, here's what you need to do to ensure your security landscape is as secure as ever with everybody working from home. It's like, yeah, okay, tell me something I don't already know. It's it's kind of like, yeah, you know, this part of it is really hard and unexpected. That's a more compassionate way of saying the same thing that acknowledges the humanity of the situation all of us are in. So they're very subtle nuances but they actually become important in someone deciding to lean in, not feeling like they're talking to a robotic company that's not acknowledging the situation on the ground. Yeah, and I think you talk as well about bringing that human side to bear. We we can very easily zero in on the rational impact, but we've got to combine the emotional as well. That's never more important than right now. Definitely. And I wrote a blog post on examples that happened in the airline industry where you know everyone was bombarding their customers with, here's what we're doing to stay safe. And so you could just compare in a 24-hour period what every major airline was saying and how they were saying it. And you could see examples where they were purely rational. The following are the things that we're doing to keep our planes sanitized and maintain your health. And there'd be these paragraphs against each of them. It's like, oh my gosh. And then there were others that were much more just connective and human saying, I know this is hard. We're really appreciative that all of us are going through this together and very short, meaningful tidbits about like, and here's some things that we're doing and links where you can find more but it was just presented in a way that you could consume it both emotionally and as a human. And that stark contrast is, especially in technology marketing, we always have a tendency to be like, here are the features, here are the facts. And don't these features and facts win you over? And it's really the context into which that's being received that determines whether or not someone is receptive to your message. So this is a time where we have to be hyper aware of the broader context not just of their daily lives, but also of all the other stuff they're being bombarded with to ensure that what we are trying to say is going to be effective. One of the questions we get asked the most is how should the way I think about product marketing and the way I resource it change as the company grows? I'm just wondering if we can kind of go through that kind of startup, grow up, scale up kind of journey. So startup, I'm sub 5 million in revenues. I'm finding product market fit, but I'm still really in discovery mode. Where should I, as a founder, where should I focus my attention and my efforts in product marketing at this stage? So we talked earlier, Stephen, about the foundation of product marketing. And for me, it really boils down to four utterly essential things. And that's deep understanding and knowledge of the customer. That includes the market context. Of course, setting that strategy, which we've talked a lot about, and then positioning, which you've also mentioned, and then it's enabling evangelism. And it's these four things that you want to build a very strong foundation in 
during that early stage of a startup. And it is discovery in the same way that it's discovery on the product side. You do not know the answers. You have to presume that if you say five things, only two of them are actually going to resonate. A lot of people fall in love with how they want to say something. And it's amazing. There's some kind of marketing switch in everyone's brain. They're like, oh, now I'm marketing. And they speak in marketing needs and it becomes very formal, not very connective. They use really big words. And everything is technically correct, but it's like, it just sounds like everybody else. So this is the period to not be attached to how you think you want to say anything, to what people want to hear, and to be extremely good at listening. What is the market telling me? What are the words that they are using? How is this landing? For customers that are wildly evangelistic about this, what is it that is making them love us so much? And those are the nuggets that you're trying to extract out of this period, because if your foundation is built on those, that's what's going to let you get to that next phase. And that enabling evangelism part, that's so underestimated what that means. And it's really about anybody that you're trying to sell a product to. If they love it, they're going to talk about it, but they're never going to use the precise same words that you do to talk about your product. So what is the atomic particle that they talk about? Is it a story? Is it another customer example? Is it that another bank is using it? They're like, oh, well, this bank uses it. So you know you can trust it. So what are those atomic particles that let others be effective evangelists on your behalf? So everyone thinks about it like, I need pundits. I need influencers to talk about this. Those things are all true. But you want to think about the everyday moment where someone's having a conversation with a peer or a colleague and saying, like, what do you do to solve this problem that I'm experiencing? And can they talk about your solution in a really normal, ordinary person way that effectively communicates why this next person they're talking to should use you? So that's what's really important in that early stage. I mean, I was a product marketer at my first marketing role, and it's kind of stayed with me is you ask simple questions so that if you were to evangelize or recommend us, what would you say? And you just get these beautifully honest, kind of straightforward responses, and they're just gold dust. It just astounds me how often people don't ask questions like that. And it's so funny you mentioned asking the question, Stephen. This is another thing. Like a lot of people rely on surveys or send email. How someone verbalizes something is almost always more insightful and connective than how they would write it. And so I always encourage people as they're trying to figure these things out, listen to what people say, because it will be very different than what they write. And that's what you want to communicate. Because if you read it the way someone says it, you're like, oh yeah, that that makes complete sense. And it's very clear. It's not full of all sorts of jargon because no human usually speaks that way. So I totally agree with you that listening to how people answer those questions and having them verbalize it is just extraordinary in where you will find those messaging golden nuggets. So I've got those essentials in place. I'm post-product market fit. We call it the grow-up phase, kind of 5 to 25 million in revenue. And I'm building repeatable sales machines, go-to-market machines, a revenue machine. What's the next step for me in terms of building out the product marketing function? Well, I'm going to make a leap and an assumption here that most of that is B2B SaaS-ish and go-to-market motion. (laughs) Because it is different, obviously, for a consumer-facing company. But in that stage, that's really all about, as you said, repeatability. And so really, the single most important thing becomes the sales playbook and everything you bring to bear around that and the connection between sales and marketing. And at that stage, you want to build into the company's DNA a great partnership 
And what I mean by that is not that product marketing does sales bidding. It means that they are each an equal counterbalance to one another. Because sales left to their own devices, like if product marketing produces a deck, they're like, this is great. But they like only half of it and they don't say anything to product marketing saying like, oh, only half of this really worked. And they just like maverick it and everybody kind of mavericks it. That's not working. <laughs> that That's broken. You need to be able to say, hey, guys, you know what? I only wound up using three of the 20 slides in this deck. And this is how I talk about it. So because you have many more salespeople and that much more signal coming in from the market, this is where you have to have a really dynamic dialogue between sales and marketing about what's connecting, but then also product marketing needs to be really short up the position and the why so they can explain to a salesperson, I know you'd like to say it this way, and maybe that works for you, but for us to occupy this position, it's really essential that you don't lose these three things. And here's how I want you to say it, because if you say it this way again and again, then we will get to occupy this position. So it is a balance, but it is really crucial that you're listening to the field at this phase. What struck me there is the importance of vulnerable trust. Yes. You know, that's 100% of what does it. 100% of what this is about, <laughs> that actually we're a team working together and we're comfortable enough with each other. We trust each other enough. We know each other well enough to be able to say, that didn't work. That did work. I really like this. I really didn't like that. The customer responded to that. They didn't respond to this. This happens in a lot of organizations. So at that stage, you will tend to have a little bit more scale. And so these walls start to go up and marketing gets busier, just checking off those boxes. And then sales like, oh, I got to run. I got to make my number. (laughs) And there's not enough attention paid to the dialogue of what's working and what do we need to adjust And if you make that investment really early, and to your point about having vulnerable trust, if you're able to have candid conversations, I write about this actually in my book, you have to be able to call each other out. If sales is being maverick, you need to say, guys, you need to stop being maverick. We're not able to own a position if you do that. And if sales is saying like, look, you're not giving us an ownable one, everyone needs to not take it personally and say like, okay, well, let's fix this. What does it need to be? And let's try this together. And that's where you can still bring in some of the discovery methodology that you use in the early stage to figure out how to fix it. And then not try and, again, this this is a phase where I'll see marketing will try and get something perfect before they roll it out to sales. And just to be unafraid in the same way that we did in the earlier stages of listening to customers and making that so dynamic, being unafraid to be dynamic with sales. You don't have to have all the answers. Your job is to get this right for the company and to focus on that versus trying to be like, oh, we got to get it all right and show everybody how awesome we are. Who cares? It's all about the success of the company. Yeah. It's a foundation that has to be built on trust around common goals and understanding that this is what really matters to achieve this kind of outcome. So I've built out my playbook. You know, sales, marketing and success kind of all really kind of working together. We've got those kind of trusted foundations. We're now going 25 million in revenue, B2B SaaS plus to 50 to, to 100 to 150. What changes then? There are a number of things that can change. And one is you have to be super attuned to your position, and whether or not you're still holding it, whether or not it needs to evolve. Typically in that stage, let's say you've created a category. And evidence of that is everybody's copying you or they're all diving into the category or the incumbents are saying, oh yeah, that new fancy, shiny, bright object, we do that too. And so there's this rush into your success. And so you have to ask yourself, do we double down on that position? 
or do we need to evolve and expand? And if we do that, then how do we reposition ourselves or how do we continue to occupy this leadership moment? So that's always a question that gets asked typically at that phase and it might require revisiting how you organize. Are you organized against product or is this a moment where you organize either against verticals or different audiences? Like you might say, we we actually want to organize around major enterprises or mid-sized enterprises just so that we really tune in to how they might be different and we're understanding and communicating and messaging and choosing activities that are very appropriate for those markets. So that's a market forward way to organize. So these are where a lot of the process points and even just going back again to those, those core four foundational elements becomes crucial. Another thing that becomes important here when you're typically at scale is how you appear digitally becomes massively important in marketing as well as in product marketing, because you'll have the legacy of where you were with who you're trying to be today. And you just need to be attentive to that. And it might mean how you think about enabling evangelism and who evangelizes on your behalf that needs to evolve or how what they're saying might need to evolve. And then how do we create assets that let us better occupy that position by having these people say these things. So it's taking all the same foundational elements, but the landscape in which you operate is much more complex, much more nuanced. You have many more levers that you might need to push and pull. And that whole exercise of prioritization actually becomes much harder, but more important at this stage. Can you give some examples who does this really well? At massive scale, I think Salesforce has become the more recent SaaS poster child of like, they're just known for exceptional product marketing and they do it really, really well. And it's infused in how they do everything. So I think Salesforce is a really good sort of poster child SaaS example. And then I would say there are different companies that have been great at different phases. So Zendesk is one of my favorite examples I'd say in their early to just a couple years post IPO phase, because they had real extreme clarity on where they were and what they wanted to be and how they positioned themselves in the marketplace. And then they hit that scaling problem, which was like, okay, we can't grow our revenues just being who we were. So now we have a product suite. Now we're doing all these other things. And it's been hard to make that adjustment. And that's a challenge that many companies face. But I'd say early days, they were really clear on the position they were trying to occupy and that differentiated them massively. Also, the other thing I'd say, both they and HubSpot have been absolutely fantastic on making go-to-market a core part of how they market the product. And so that does fall into product marketing, where it's like, do we re-examine how we go to market or our go-to-market motion? Winds up being a big company strategy thing. But what I'd say is the companies that do product marketing best are those that believe that the function is intrinsically part of delivering against company strategy. We talked about the 2020 and how things have changed and the focus on empathy. And there were some great examples there, but I wonder if what, are there any kind of really big innovations that you've seen in this function in the last few years? I'd say the single biggest that's having an impact on both product management and product marketing is the access to data and how accessible customers are. And this is a double-edged sword. We have all this data. We can like test messaging like cheaply and inexpensively just by buying ads. And so you have all this real world data that is amazing and awesome. And everyone should take advantage of that evolution. The double-edged sword part is while we simultaneously have access to all this great and amazing data, we can't lose sight of how it adds up to a human. And Jeff Bezos famously talks about, if you look at a survey results, it might say like, well, 54% of people feel favorably towards this. 
that difference between the 54% and the 46% that are on balance there, it's like, can we really say that we understand that the 54% direction is the one that we should take? Do we understand the nuance? And this is where having discussions with customers, asking those questions, Stephen, like how would you describe this? Or what was the straw that broke the camel's back that made you decide that you needed to solve this problem? Asking those probing questions that really help you understand how they think, that's the part you can't lose in the practice of this amidst all of that data. So those are two really, really important evolutions. And then the third is the evolution around growth marketing. And to me, that's in many ways, a modern take on product marketing, where you're taking all the different levels, all the different elements and infusing it with how you think about product. There are a lot of senior growth leaders that came from product marketing. They're like, ah, it's just the same thing with different tools. So that's another really interesting evolution in the craft. As an ex-founder myself, I mean, it dates back now, but I wish I had such a framework as someone like you to explain <laughs> me and us and our team this as eloquently, but it still feels very challenging for a lot of founders, no matter how eloquently you've just discussed it. What is the most important thing maybe you would give as an advice to an entrepreneur listening to this or someone you would meet? How would you frame it in a way that really drives the point home of the importance of product marketing? Well, for especially for founders, the number one thing I want them to remember is product marketing is about helping you achieve your goals. It is not a function where they're doing just a bunch of busy work. It's about helping you achieve your business goals. And so how do you get there? It's really focusing on those four fundamentals and always ask that of anyone that is in that function. Help me understand the customer market perspective. That's number one. Once you understand that, then you can craft a really clever and smart strategy. And everything you do, and you should always ask this of someone that's suggesting anything, it's like, what strategies does that support? And how will that work towards our goals? That's how you ensure that every motion, every action, every resource you spend in those early days is working towards your goals. And then third is that positioning. What's the space that we occupy and how do we message in such a way that people get that that's us? <laughs> and fourth is, is really about thinking broadly about how do you enable evangelism? And especially for founders, because typically they know their market that they came from really well. It's like, look, if this sounds kind of stale and inauthentic to you, then it's going to sound that way to the people you're trying to market to. Indeed. So <laughs> like speak regular English and find ways to say what you want to say in a way that connects with people you're having a conversation with. And then if you make those your atomic messaging elements, or just have that be part of your brand or even your customer success. And you can think about this so broadly. Enabling evangelism isn't about promotion. It's about people really believing in you so much that they want to talk about you because they love it. They love every experience of you. So, so think about enabling evangelism in the broadest possible sense. Thank you. Martina, it's been a fantastic conversation. I could carry on this all afternoon and evening. So thank you very, very much. How can founders or product marketers learn more? Obviously, they should look out for your book. Any other resources you can point people to? Yeah, well, obviously, I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. So follow me there. I blog post occasionally. <laughs> and I put it in both of those channels. And SVPG obviously will have more of the product aspect of this. But what I'd say to most product marketers is it's actually a great resource because you're trying to work really closely with product. And if you understand their world, it helps you align to 
how do I be a really effective part of this team? Because you are a part of that team. And then there's the Product Marketing Alliance. There's tons of resources there. If there's something that you want to hone in on, my caution always with any of those product marketing organizations is it's so much that it's easy to get caught up in like, oh, these are the three, five things I should be doing. So my book will be coming out in the second half of 2021. And I'd love people's feedback and love people's feedback on what they think is important for me to cover while we still can influence what's inside. So feel free to holler at me on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and, and let me know what you want to learn more about. Thank you, Martina. And I look forward to reading the book. And I guess I well. should say the book's title. It actually has a title. I was about, yeah. I was about to ask <laughs> well, you. Well, I wasn't sure whether you'd actually nailed that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same. So could you tell us the name of the book? Yeah. So of course, it's part of the Silicon Valley Product Group series. So it's called Loved because Marty's book is inspired how to build products customers love. And so then I take it to the market side. Loved how to market tech products that customers adore. Fantastic. I can give a plug for a third Silicon Valley product group book. Oh. Empowered. Empowered. That's right. I love that. Inspired, empowered, loved. loved. Fantastic. And I have to say, Inspired is the single best book on product strategy I've ever read. Well, I aspire to do the same for product marketing. And it's loaded with lots of stories to inspire and help people find themselves. And even some of these things that we talked about, I actually have tables at the end of chapter saying early stage, mid stage, later stage. How does this look just so you can find yourself and and understand what to fix? Loved. I really love that. And I look forward to reading it. Martina, thank you. Thank you ever so much. Oh, both of you. Thank you so much. It's just been a pleasure. 